the title of the message is Jesus forgives and heals a paralytic. Jesus forgives and heals a paralytic. And this is a very important topic or a very important message because the forgiveness of sins is something that we all need, every single one of us. If you're here in this room, if you're breathing at this very moment, you need forgiveness of sins. And if you've been here for the past couple of months, you're well aware of the authority of Jesus. We've been talking about it almost every time we, we meet. And even if you haven't been here, uh, the, um, you should be well aware if you go to church that Jesus has great power and authority. And so far in Mark, we've seen that Jesus has authority over Satan as demonstrated in the wilderness. We've seen that Jesus has authority over the scribes as demonstrated in his teaching. In, verse, in chapter 1, verse 22, it says that Jesus taught as one who had authority, not as the scribes. We've seen that Jesus has authority over the unclean spirits. When we saw that when he commanded an unclean spirit to be silent and come out of the man in chapter 1, verse 26, and the unclean spirit had nothing else to do, no other choice but to obey Jesus' authoritative command. We've also seen that Jesus has authority over all sickness and disease, as shown in healing Simon's mother-in-law in, verses, in chapter 1, verse 31, and also healing all disease and, and those oppressed by demons that were brought to Jesus. Jesus healed everybody, exhibiting his authority. And then last time we saw that Jesus has authority in cleansing a leper in chapter 1, verses 41 to 42. And because of all these miracles that Jesus was doing, because of his power that was displayed, people were attracted to Jesus. People wanted to see more of what he could do. And his fame continued to spread in chapter 1, verse 28. Look at chapter 1, verse 45. It says that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. People were coming to him from every quarter. His fame was rising. He was seen as a wonder worker a great healer, but many failed to recognize who he was. He was the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God. And tonight, we're going to see Jesus' authority in a greater way, in even a greater way than healing the sick, cleansing a leper, and, yeah. Because the miracles that Jesus has done before, they, although they were spectacular and wonderful and amazing, there was something far greater that the people needed to experience. You might be thinking, what, what am I talking about? What could be greater than these displays of Jesus' authority and performing miracles? Let me see if I could clue you in. There's something greater than the physical miracles Jesus was doing. Take the man with the unclean spirit, for example. He was no, no longer tortured by the unclean spirit, but he was still just as lost in, in his sins. Take all the sick people that were brought to Jesus, all of those who were oppressed by demons, who were healed by Jesus. They were also still lost in their sins. Many came to Jesus for healing, not for salvation. They didn't recognize their greatest problem, sin. And, they didn't also, and they also, they didn't recognize Jesus Christ, the great Savior. Jesus isn't just a great physician that can heal any kind of sickness. He's the great physician of our souls. 
What, we, what every one of us needs is spiritual healing. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 46, it says, For there is no one who does not sin. There's no one who does not sin. Romans, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death. And guess what? We can't do anything about our sin problem. Because God is holy and just, we know that sin demands a penalty. All sin is to be punished by death. And guess what? That's why living a moral life or trying to be as good of a person as you can be won't solve your sin problem or eliminate its consequences. Going through the motions, coming to church, attending youth group every week, doing good works, trying to live a good life, trying to not do anything wrong, trying not to steal, not to lie, not to cheat, doing good, being good doesn't cut it because external, external behavior counts for nothing. That's because our problem is internal. We have a heart problem. Our hearts are sinful. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. And guess what? Since we're sinners, since we can't do anything to fix our sin problem, we're going to get what we deserve, which is death. The wages of sin, again, is death. But Jesus has authority to forgive sin. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.9 Jesus took on the full wrath of God. He paid the penalty and died the death for all who would believe in him. So you see, there's, there's a problem that we all have and physical healing doesn't solve it. Physical healing may, may, may make life more bearable, enjoyable, and comfortable, but that doesn't matter because unless you're saved, you're going to spend eternity in hell. So the question is, have you been forgiven of your sins? Do you know Jesus? Do you know the one who can solve your sin problem? And you may, you may not see it this way, but it's actually a matter of life and death. Nothing is more important except that which is eternal. So in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we're going to learn about the one who has authority to forgive sins. And I want us to consider three ways the authority of Jesus is demonstrated so that you would see Jesus for who he really is and grow to trust him more. So number one, Jesus' authority to forgive sin, verses 1 through 5. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. This is talking about Jesus. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could, when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, 
your, son, your sins are forgiven. So Jesus is back in Capernaum. If you remember, Capernaum was Jesus' home base. It was his headquarters. And the home mentioned here is most likely Simon Peter's home. As I said earlier, his fame and popularity continued to grow and increase after he cleansed the leper. People were amazed at his teaching. They were astonished by his miracles. They heard about everything that Jesus was doing, and they wanted to get near him so that they could be a witness to it. He was the talk of the town. He was trending. He was going viral. And we're told in verse 45 that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, yet people continued to come to him. So now he's back in Capernaum inside a home. He's inside a house. Mark tells us that many were gathered together, so much so that there was no more room, not even at the door. You can say that it was standing room only. It was standing room only. And what do we find Jesus doing amidst this crowd of people in the house? He's preaching the word. He's preaching the word because that was his mission, because that's why he came, because the message is that important. It's that urgent. Eternity is at stake. Jesus was speaking to them about the nearness of the kingdom of God. He was speaking to them about how they need to repent and believe in the gospel. And something we can't forget is that Jesus spoke with the authority of God himself because he was God. His every word was truthful, without error, and infallible. To hear Jesus preach was to truly hear the truth and nothing but the truth. Preachers and teachers today are unlike Jesus in that, in that way because we're capable of speaking error. We're capable of saying the wrong things. We're capable of teaching something contrary to Scripture, but not so with Jesus. To give you an example, the only way I could stand up here and only speak truth and nothing but the truth is if I just read to you, if I just stood up here and read to you the Bible. That's the only way I can speak inerrantly, the, only wor- the very words of Jesus. So Jesus is preaching to the people packed inside a house. Outside the house, we have something else happening. Verse 3 says, Four men are carrying a paralytic, bringing him to Jesus. And this is somewhat surprising, although it doesn't show up in the text. This is surprising because in John 5, we have the record of a man who was crippled for 38 years, who was laying beside the pool called Bethesda. And we're told there in John 5 that no one would help him into the pool. He was helpless without assistance. But this man in our passage tonight... He had four men, four men, we'll call them friends, even though we're not told the relation, their relation to this man. This man had four friends who cared enough to help him. They heard the reports about Jesus. They heard the noise about Jesus being at home, and they believed it. They believed that Jesus was doing these miracles. They believed that Jesus could heal their paralytic friend. And they didn't just believe it. They also acted in faith out of their belief. And we see this, right? They carried their friend on a bed, which tells us that the condition of the man was pretty severe. He had to be carried. He's not able to move on his own. 
So you can imagine the four men plus this paralytic are making their way over to the house where Jesus was. And when they arrive, they, what do they find? They find that there's no room anywhere. There's no room for them to bring the paralytic into the house to see Jesus. The people aren't budging. The entry to the door is blocked. The paralytic needs help, but there are obstacles in the way. So sadly, they apologize to the paralytic, turn around, and take him back home, realizing that there's no way to break through the crowd to get to Jesus. Is that what they do? Is that what we're told in the text? Have any of you guys ever been in a car doing errands with your parents? And then when you get to the parking lot, and the parking lot is so full with cars, there's lines out the door, that your parents realize that it, maybe we should just come back another day. There's too, much, there's too much trouble, there's too many people. We're not going to find a parking spot, so we'll just come back another day. You know, you see the lines that are out the door, you don't want to wait in that line, and you don't want to wait in the lines that are in the checkout lines inside the stores either. The four friends carrying the paralytic could have easily turned around, seeing the massive crowd at the house. They could have thought to themselves, let's just come back early tomorrow morning. But that's not what happened. They were determined to get the paralytic to Jesus. There's no mistake about their faith. They believed what Jesus could do, and their, their faith is showing it. They did something about it. They didn't just pray for their friend. They put feet to their prayers and didn't allow difficult circumstances to discourage them. If an opening to Jesus couldn't be found, they would make one. That's how determined they were. They're willing to remove any obstacle in the way to get their friend to Jesus. And if they couldn't go in through the door, they would go in through the roof. And houses in the first century normally had an outside staircase that would allow access to the roof. So you can picture that they, they go up the staircase, they're on top of the roof, carrying on a bed their paralytic friend, and they start digging through the roof. It's literally, they're unroofing the roof. They're digging, they're uncovering enough of the roof to create an opening in order to get their friend down to Jesus. Nothing was going to stop these four men. So they, they get the roof opened, they let down the paralytic, and you can imagine what's going on outside, but you can also imagine what's going on inside as Jesus is preaching the word to them. Imagine what they're doing, what they're thinking inside. Jesus is probably wondering what's with all the noise. Everyone's probably wondering what's going on outside. And if you were the owner of the house, you'd probably be thinking to yourself, why is, what's going on? Someone is damaging my roof. Who's going to pay for it? This is a startling scene. And Jesus is about to make a startling statement. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, notice that there's no record that any words were spoken by the four men. We're just told that Jesus saw their faith. And he saw the faith of the four men. It's not clear whether that includes the paralytic or not, but for sure, it was focused on the four. 
In other words, even if the paralytic didn't believe, the four men did. And the faith of the four friends is, is remarkable. Something to ask ourselves, do you have friends who are spiritually crippled, impaired, broken in sin? And do you, like the four, believe that Jesus can help them? How far are you willing to go to help them? Jesus Christ is the solution to the sin problem, which is a terrible condition that plagues us all. And if, if you believe that Jesus can help them, are you willing to grab your end of the bed, tear up the roof, and do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the greatest news anyone can hear. And I know you care and love your unsaved friends and family members. Tell them about Jesus Christ. Notice that Jesus saw their faith. He saw the faith of the four, but when he addresses someone, he only addresses the paralytic. He spoke directly to the paralytic and said, Son, your sins are forgiven. For the paralytic, he's probably thinking to himself, what's this talk about forgiveness of sins? I came to be healed. But something we need to understand is that many Jews in that day believed that all this disease and affliction was a direct result of, of your sin. And that's true in some cases, but not in all cases, that's not true. In other words, not all sickness is caused by sin. However, in this case, it seems to be connected, and we have some clues in the text that show us that. Jesus says, your sins, plural, which suggests that he was speaking about specific sins or particular sins rather than just the general condition of sin. Jesus saw the paralytic lying on his mat or his bed, and he went straight to the heart of the problem, not the paralysis of the body, but the sin in the heart. Christ is addressing the man's greatest need first. So even before he healed the man's body, Jesus spoke peace to the man's heart and announced that his sins were forgiven. We need to understand our biggest problem is that God is holy and we're not. And we have to answer to God one day for how we lived our lives. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Romans 3, 10 to 12. We're guilty sinners. We need forgiveness. But we can't do anything about it. It's been well said, we can't reach up to God, but God has reached down to us through the death and resurrection of Christ. Jesus came to solve our biggest problem by providing forgiveness of sins at the cross. He proclaimed it. He can say, son, your sins are forgiven, and he provides it as well. And he provides it by his death. Warren Wiersbe said this about forgiveness. Forgiveness is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need, it costs the greatest price, and it brings the greatest blessing and the most lasting results. Jesus just claimed to do something only God can do. And in the, in the Old Testament, a prophet might declare that your sins have been forgiven, that your sins might have been put away, but a prophet could never claim that they're able to forgive sins directly. Likewise, a priest could pronounce 
the forgiveness of sins on the basis of repentance and sacrifice, but Jesus claims that he can remit sins. That's a colossal claim by Jesus. What Jesus was doing was showing that he can do something that only God could do. The word forgiven refers to sending away or driving away. It means to be pardoned, to let go, to cancel, or to dismiss. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Jesus sent away, he canceled the paralytic sin and freed him from the guilt of it. Complete pardon was granted, and it had nothing to do with anything the paralytic did. It had nothing to do with what the paralytic did. It was based on no merit or works on the part of of this man. His sins were forgiven. And at that very moment when Jesus pronounced it, the crippled sinner was delivered from a future in everlasting hell to one in eternal heaven. Now you might be skeptical. You might think that you're not good enough. You've done too much wrong. You've sinned too much. You might live with the unresolved guilt that God would never forgive someone like you. Well, I've got good news for you. Because forgiveness of sins isn't based on what you've done. It's not based on what you haven't done. It's based on the person and work of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Jesus is able to forgive sin because only someone who's sinless and perfect can forgive sin. Otherwise, he himself would need to be forgiven. You understand this, right? That's why the sinless life of Jesus Christ matters. Christ didn't go to the cross for his own sins, but for ours. He didn't pay the penalty for his own sins. He paid the penalty for our sins. And that's wonderful news. John Metcalf, he says, nothing will make you want to give up sinning more than knowing that Christ has actually taken and remitted all your sin, past, present, and future. And that glorious truth that Jesus forgives sin, that truth was not well received by the scribes. And that's our next point. Jesus' knowledge of man's heart in verses 6 to 8. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart, in your hearts? And here we have the beginning of conflict. Here's the beginning of opposition to Jesus that will only continue to grow in intensity as we move along in Mark. Not only are Jesus' onlookers growing, but opposition to Jesus is also growing. And we see this coming from the religious leaders, the scribes. The scribes were the authority on Jewish law and they were professional scholars. They devoted their life to the study and teaching of the law and they governed all of their life by it. Mark tells us they were sitting there inside the house, questioning inside their hearts. The scribes were inside the house, meaning they beat the crowd. Somehow they made it there before all the others and they got a spot in the house before the rush of the people. And they, were, they weren't there to hear Jesus' preaching. 
they were, they were there to find accus accusation against him. They were looking for evidence, anything he would say or do that they can use to discredit him. And like the four men who were brought, who brought the paralytic, they didn't say anything. They didn't speak any words. They were, the text says, they were thinking to themselves. They were questioning within themselves and accusing Jesus of blasphemy, which isn't a small, small thing to be accused of. The penalty for blasphemy was death by stoning. And interestingly, the charge of blasphemy is going to be what leads to Jesus' eventual execution. The scribes were questioning internally, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The scribes were at the house for evidence, and now they're convinced that they have the evidence that they came looking for. And they're right. Not, not that Jesus was a blasphemer, but that only God alone can forgive sins. Now, do you believe that? Do you believe that forgiveness of sins is the exclusive right of God? Only God can forgive sins. If you've seen the, the first Incredibles movie, you might remember the scene in the beginning of the movie where Mr. Incredible, he's out on a mission to stop bomb voyage. And do you remember who shows up at that moment when he's about to take him down? Mr. Incredible's biggest fan, Incrediboy. And then when Incrediboy showed up determined to help, Mr. Incredible said this to him, fly home, buddy, I work alone. He said, fly home, buddy, I work alone. Forgiveness is God's business alone. That means that he doesn't have any partners, any staff working with him. Forgiveness of sins is the exclusive right of God. Now think with me, what's implied in that statement, forgiveness of sins? It implies that sin exists and needs to be forgiven. And let me say this, ultimately all sin is against God. Every single sin is against God. And we see this clearly in Psalm 51. David confesses his adultery with Bathsheba and also he confesses the murder of Uriah, saying, to, saying this to God, against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That tells us that sin is no small matter. Yet how often do you find that you minimize sin? That you view them as little failures or mistakes? You trivialize the seriousness of sin. You might think, well, you know, everyone sins. I don't commit any significant or severe sins. Therefore, I'm okay. I'm a good person. How often do you downplay sin? That's a wrong understanding of sin. Sin is much more than making a mistake. It's a breaking of a relationship. And even more, it's a rejection of God himself. All sin is against God. And who's the one that sins? Us. We have disobeyed God's word. We have ignored his commands. We have sinned against him. We like to view ourselves as the victim. 
but it's quite the opposite. We're the criminal, the unrighteous, deserving of judgment. Does sin shock you? Do you understand yourself to be guilty of sins? Or do you know yourself to be guilty of sin? There's a huge difference between those two. To understand yourself to be guilty or to know yourself to be guilty. Jesus Christ came to save sinners who are by nature sinful and who by choice are full of sin. Sin runs to the very depths of our hearts. It's in us and of us, not just on us. In a book called Gentle and Lowly that I just finished reading, there's a section that talks about how all of our life is tainted with sin. And the author explains that if sin were the color blue, we don't occasionally say or do something that's blue. Actually, all that we say, do, and think has some taint of blue in it. The scribes were right that only God can forgive sins, but they were wrong that he was blaspheming. Remember, this charge of blasphemy was never spoken out loud. However, Jesus read them like an open book. Look at verse 8. Jesus perceives in his spirit that they question within themselves and said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? In Matthew's account, it says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Jesus knew their thoughts. They didn't have to speak them out loud. This is Jesus' knowledge of man's heart. He's able to read their thoughts. He's able to read our thoughts. Jesus not only knew the sins of the paralytic without anything ever being spoken, he also knows the hearts of these scribes. And the fact that God is all-knowing should have a profound effect on how we live. God knows everything and sees everything. Now, what does God know about your thoughts? What does he see you doing? We need to daily confess our sins and repent. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you watchful over your heart and thoughts? Are you taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? Are you aware that everything you do, every task you set out to accomplish, should be done all to the glory of God? 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That talks about sincere motives, approaching every single thing you do, approaching every endeavor with a resolve to put in, in the effort and preparation required to bring glory to God, to serve him fully, to give God your best in every single thing that you put your hands to do. We need to be constantly amazed and comforted by this truth that God is all-knowing. Romans 11:33. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. We can be encouraged because God already knew you before he chose to save you. And he saved you not because he knew good things about you or 
that he would, he would know what you would do. He chose to save you in spite of your sinful rebellion against him. Jesus' authority to forgive sin. Jesus' knowledge of man's heart, lastly. Jesus' authority to heal, verses 9 to 12. Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. In verses 9 to 12, we'll see Jesus call out the scribes and demonstrate his authority to heal, which will also validate his prior claim to, to have authority to forgive sin. Jesus doesn't answer the scribes. He responds to their question with a question of his own. Jesus responds to the unspoken reasonings of the scribes, saying, why do you question? What's easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Now, let's think about that. After you think about it a little bit, you would realize that both of those things are impossible. The only exception would be if, if you were God. Because no one can forgive sins but God alone. And no one could heal a paralytic except God alone. However, there is a difference between these two statements. One, one of the things can be seen and confirmed visually, and one is unseen and can't be confirmed visually. So if I say your sins are forgiven, how would you actually confirm that was true? There would be no way for you to verify that. Outwardly, you, would, you wouldn't be able to observe if anything took place. On the other hand, to say to a paralyzed person, get up and walk, that could be validated. That could be observed and verified right on the spot. Either it's done or it's not done. Either it's a success or it's a failure. Again, both are impossible and would require the authority of God alone to do it. However, Jesus poses this question. He says, what's easier to say, not do? What's easier to say? The scribes would say, in that case, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven than to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, because when you just say your sins are forgiven, you don't need to verify it. So that's the easier thing to say. So if Jesus could do what seems like the easier thing to do, that is proclaim forgiveness of sins, then he could do the apparently harder thing, which is instantly healing the man of his paralysis. And let me add this. In reality, the forgiveness of sins is, more difficult, is the more difficult task because ultimately it would require Jesus to sacrifice himself. Forgiveness of sins is more difficult and more essential of the two actions. Just to sum up, this dilemma that Jesus poses to the scribes shows that both forgiveness and healing are far beyond human capacity, but well within the power of God. Jesus asked the scribes, what's easier to say? And we learn that Jesus doesn't say, he does. So what does he do in verses 10 to 12? He heals the paralytic. He proves the veracity of his claim and power to forgive sins. 
Look at verse 10. Jesus starts off by saying, but that you may know, or so that you may know. He's talking about the physical, observable proof of the healed paralytic walking. So that you may know, look, so that you can see this paralytic is walking again. So that you would know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Son of Man is a very important term that Jesus This is Jesus' favorite term to use of himself. And this is the first time out of 14 times that it's going to appear in Mark's gospel. And we like to think because it says son of man, when we know the term son of God, when he says son of man, we think that refers, he's referring to his humanity, which is true. But son of man was also a messianic title referred to in Daniel. In Daniel 7, 13 to 14, it says, I saw in the night visions and behold, With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom kingdom that shall not be destroyed. Jesus is the son of man in Daniel's vision. Jesus uses the title Son of Man of himself to show his divine authority. He's claiming to be the one who has been given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Jesus has the authority and the power. He has the right and the might to forgive sins. And this is what we see happen. He says, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the paralytic rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So who is Jesus? Who is this that can make the lame walk? Who is this that, can, that has authority to forgive sins? There's no denying what just took place. The healed man went out before them all. He was in full view of everyone. What can the scribes do now? Jesus just healed the paralytic before their very eyes and before everyone who was present. They were forced to recognize the authority of Jesus, both to forgive sin and to heal. But we know that they don't submit to Jesus as Lord and Savior. They oppose and reject him more. Next, the text tells, says that they were all amazed. They never saw anything like this. They've witnessed physical healing before, but this thing that Jesus does here added a new dimension. This was unprecedented, not only physical healing, but declaring the authority to forgive sins and exercising that right. And now, and we also have the text saying that they glorified God. That doesn't mean that everyone who was there came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. It means that the crowd gave glory to God because of what they just witnessed. Now, to apply this in a couple situations, we might overlook, this might be overlooked, but notice in this account the sovereignty and the providence of God over all the affairs of life. In the case of the paralytic, his affliction proved to be a great blessing. He was paralyzed and helpless. And after meeting Jesus, 
he was completely healed and restored to health and strength. And that wasn't the best of it, because Jesus granted him a far greater blessing of forgiveness of sins. He was carried down the roof, and he walked out through the door of the house rejoicing. We can't miss that. Without his paralysis, the paralytic might not have ever come into contact with Jesus. Without his paralysis, he probably would have lived and died in his sins. He might have never heard the words from Jesus, Son, your sins are forgiven. His paralysis was indeed a great blessing. Who would have known that it would have bring him eternal life? And if you're here tonight and you don't know the one who can forgive you of your sins, let me ask you this question. Have you sought forgiveness? Have you sought forgiveness? And if you haven't, what are you waiting for? In an instant, you can be forgiven of all your sin. You can pass from death to life. If you repent of your sins and turn to Christ, he will fully and completely forgive you of your sin and wash them all away by his precious blood. And God loves to forgive. God loves to forgive. Someone said, there's as much joy in the heart of God when he forgives as there is in the heart of the sinner when he is forgiven. God is as blessed in giving as we are in receiving. And if you do know Jesus, do you count affliction, sickness, suffering, and trials as blessings? Can you say with David in Psalm 119.71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. We need to beware of complaining and grumbling under affliction. And remember that the all-wise God has a wise reason for every trial. Everything is meant to draw you closer to him. May you learn the lesson that each afflict affliction is appointed to convey. So we've considered the three ways authority of Jesus is shown. To forgive sin, his knowledge of man's heart, and his authority to heal. Jesus claimed authority to forgive sin. Jesus demonstrated his deity by reading the thoughts of the scribes. He claimed authority to heal the paralytic, and he backed up all his claims. He demonstrated his divine power and authority. He wasn't less than God. He was equal with God. He was God in the flesh, and he proves it by doing only what God can do. He performed the undeniable miracle of physical healing so that everyone watching would know that the Son of Man had authority to also forgive sins on earth. Look at verse 7 quickly. The charge of the scribes was that Jesus was a blasphemer. And that's the question of all questions. Either Jesus is God or he's a blasphemer. There's no middle ground. He's one or the other. What's your verdict? Look at verse 7 again. Notice the question. It begins with this word. Who? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who? The one who can say, Son, your sins are forgiven. The one who can say, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And it's immediately done. The one who has authority to forgive and heal a paralytic. So who can forgive sins but God alone? 
Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. Don't be like the scribes in their stubborn unbelief, not recognizing Jesus for who he really is. Go to Jesus to hear the sweet words, Son, your sins are forgiven. Let us marvel at the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let us be overwhelmed with the truth that Jesus Christ can proclaim forgiveness of sins because he's God. And Jesus Christ also provided forgiveness of sins by dying for our sins on the cross so that we can pass out of death into eternal life. Let's pray.